Okay, take your Bible tonight, and we're going to use them this evening again. So we're going to be, first of all, in Jeremiah 31, and then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. So if you want to start in Jeremiah 31 and then maybe put a bulletin or something in Hebrews, um, the first place we'll be is in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to do a bit of a big overview study tonight. And I hope that that doesn't already make your mind slow down. We're just going to look at some truths this evening as we prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's table. And uh, sometimes my, my wife has said this to me in the past. I have said, oh, this is such a great, you know, truth. And I can't wait to share these truths. And, and sometimes she says, now remember, um, these might be more exciting to you than they will be to the hearer. And I don't know if that's true tonight or not, but I will tell you the truths that we're going to look at this evening are just such beautiful truths. Do you ever get anything in the mail or get an email that says that the terms of the service are changing? You gotten those? How many of you have ever actually read those? Have you ever read the terms of, wow, we have someone over here? And uh, I think one person out of 1200. So we don't oftentimes read all of the terms of the change, but we probably should because they are significant. At times they can be. And, and of course, we don't know because we don't read them. But what they're doing is they're letting us know in some official capacity, some way, shape, or form, that the agreement that we previously had is now null and void. And if you continue to use our services, we want you to know that the terms of this service have actually changed. There is something that we understand happened when we have this change in terms. The title of the message tonight is New Covenant Change. New Covenant Change. A few weeks ago on a Sunday night, we began a Sunday evening series with the, the topic simply stated as change. And we know that whenever change takes place, there are some people that may welcome it because you were hoping for something different. There are some people that recoil from it because they were comfortable with what they had. And I suspect that our, our comfort or discomfort is really connected to the kind of or the type of change. Some things we welcome, some things we, we, you know, we hesitate, but change is certainly a part of that which God is doing in us and by us and many times through us. Tonight, when we consider the new covenant change, it is profound to think about all that took place in this, again, for lack of a better expression, this, this change of terms. That there was an understanding, and now that has run its course. That has fulfilled its purpose. It's not that we now have this departure from the terms. It's rather that these terms served their purpose. They did what they were intended to do. And now there are some new terms, a new arrangement, a new agreement. It, it is actually that which now fulfills the old terms. They did something, and they did something important, and we see that they did this as somewhat of a, a shadow, a, 
a forerunner, but now we have the substance. And now we have the terms with which we will never see change. This is ours, and it is ours for all of eternity. So what is it that really changed, not just began to, it changed when we went from the old covenant that was given by Moses and, and was in place for years and years, and then Jesus Christ comes. He is the, the, the fulfillment of, we, we see the first Adam and that all in him die, but now we see the last Adam and we see that all in him can have no death but life eternal. What is it then we, when we move from the old covenant the old arrangement, the, the, the old terms, what changes when we move into the new? This is not by any stretch of the imagination of a full presentation of all that changes, but certainly there are some things. Your Bibles are open right now. We get a, a glimpse of the coming change in Jeremiah chapter 31. These passages will not be on the screen tonight because some of them are rather lengthy. So if you have your scriptures, I'd encourage you to join along and watch or share with someone close to you as we follow along with this new covenant change. The first thing we're going to notice is a change of heart. A change of heart. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse number 31, we get again this early idea. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. In other words, there is a future day coming that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, if you pause right there, that should be some understanding of preparation. Those who had become so deeply ingrained in the way things always were were given a heads up. They were given some kind of insight into what's going to take place. He said, there is a day coming. So don't become so rooted in the old that you are not prepared for the new. There's a day coming that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, this new covenant. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. When God first gives the law, they are chiseled out into some tablets of stone. But God says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. You're going to have to have a new heart for this new covenant because the, the heart that you're born with, so to speak, that, that is not capable of actually going and, and, and living out this new covenant. So I'm going to give you a new heart. And the new covenant is going to be established there. The law will then be written in your hearts, no longer chiseled out in some tablets of stone. Now, if your Bibles could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be in, in Hebrews for much of the evening tonight, and we'll, 
we'll become familiar with some of these earlier chapters in the book. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 16. Here, the Bible records, this is the covenant that I will make after them, with them, after those days, saith the Lord. Here it is. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Do you know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, let me read it for you. The Bible says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. There was something obviously profoundly important when God makes the law in what we, terms that we might call official. Like, okay, th this is not just an understanding. There was an understanding of the law from the time man was created. We did understand our conscience also, Romans helps us understand, bearing witness, accusing or excusing. We, we do understand there was a, a law of conscience, there was a moral law, and then God formalizes this law in the tables of stone. But he said, I'm going to give you an established new covenant. And it's not that you have to any longer have these tables of stone. I'm going to do something that is brand new. I'm going to write this new law. And it's going to be not in the, the table of stone, but in the table of your own heart. Do you know one of the things that God establishes for us with this new covenant is we got a new heart. There is something now that was birthed inside of us, made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection, and establishment of a new covenant. The fulfillment of the old, it's done, and the establishment of the new means I got, through Jesus Christ, a new heart. But it certainly doesn't stop there. Let's look a little bit further. Your Bibles, if you'd go back with me just a few chapters, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Yes, there's a change of heart. A little bit further we see there is a change in the priesthood. A change in the priesthood. Let's start in verse number 22, Hebrews chapter 7. By so much was Jesus made a surety, a guarantor of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Now just pause for a minute He's, he's stating the obvious. Okay, so there's a priest, and he would serve for a, a span, a period of time, but, but this is not an ongoing priesthood because eventually that priest would die. He, he may have served well. He may have served not so well, but really that's not the point he's trying to make. He's trying to make the point that a priest could only serve for so long because of the reality of the human physical limitations. He would live, serve, and die, and his priesthood was over. Verse number 25. Oh, excuse me, verse 24. But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Oh, this is an established priesthood. This is one that's not ever going to change. Verse number 25. Wherefore, because of this unchangeable aspect, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That is thoroughly, completely. There's no, there's no chance of this being altered. Save them to the uttermost that come unto God 
by him, by this priest, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In other words, he's the one who's going to constantly present all the need of those who have come to him to the Father. There is a constant, continual intercession. Now, those human priests could only do that for so long. They would die, and another would come step in his place, but not this new priest, not this new priesthood. For such an high priest, verse 26, for such an high priest became us. He, he came in the likeness of us, in the form. He, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Do you see how much more beautiful, how much more fitting? I mean, to the perfect degree, the one who says, listen, I'm going to be your new high priest forever. There is no one who serves for a time, for a period, for a span, but then he stops. And this is not one who says, okay, I'm going to make intercession every day. Every day I'm going to bring a new sacrifice. And first, I have to do so for my own failures, for my own shortcomings, for my own sin. And then after I've made some sacrifice for me, now I'm going to go and make that for you as well. He says, no, 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 no. This one became us. He, he came in our likeness, but... Wow, what a different priest. This priest goes and now one time he offers his, his own self. He becomes the sacrifice. And now there is no need of any other sacrifice, him having been the fulfillment of all. Do you know sometimes, even in our political world, there, there might be people who have served for a time and we, we like them. They've done a capable job. They, they were good. We knew they weren't perfect, but they were good. And then, and then as time went on, they, they fulfilled the term of their office and they served no more. Or, or they came to some physical demise. They died and they could serve no more. We see that continue on and on and on. Who is the first person? How many of you remember easily the first person, the first president you ever voted for? How many of you remember that? How many of you have not yet ever had the opportunity to vote? Okay, listen, when you get that opportunity, I hope you will take every advantage to, to vote. The first person I ever had the opportunity to go and cast my ballot for was a man by the name of Ronald Reagan. The first one that I had the privilege to, to vote for. And in my estimation, he set the bar pretty high. Like, wow, what a wonderful president with shortcomings, with some failure, not with perfection, but oh, what a great job he did. There were others that have come after him that, that I would say had more shortcomings, 
more challenges, more difficulties. And when, when President Reagan's term came to a conclusion, I was disappointed, sad, like, oh, oh, I liked him being in that office. And then there were others that said, let his, let his you know, days be few, his office be short. There were those that I said, oh, boy, be wonderful when their time is done. But this is not the kind of priest we're talking about here. This is one who serves with perfection, with completion, with fulfillment. He is your high priest, Jesus Christ. There was a change of heart. There is a change in the priesthood. There is also a change now in the law. A change in the law. Again, look at Hebrews chapter 7. Let's start again in verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 7, just back up a little, a little verse number 12. The Bible here says, for the priesthood being changed. Okay, so there's a new priesthood. We get that. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also in the law. Okay, so the priesthood changed. Okay, we, we've understood that. We, we don't have these that served and had to, had to have sacrifice for themselves so they can make sacrifice for others. And, and they do so in an ongoing fashion. Every day they have to make some new sacrifice. There's a change in the priesthood. Because there's a change in the priesthood, the terms have also changed regarding the law. Look down a little bit further in Hebrews 7. Look down at verse number 19. Hebrews 7, verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Do you, do you get what he's saying here? He says, okay, the law made nothing perfect. What, what do we read elsewhere? By the law, I had the knowledge of sin. I had not known sin, but the law said, thou shalt not covet. And now what a mess I'm in. Did, does the law make anything perfect? Well, of course not. The law is now the, the means by which I have the knowledge of sin. So the law doesn't, doesn't do anything that brings my perfection but notice it doesn't stop there, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Did what? Made something perfect. Do you know that word in, in Scripture oftentimes is rich in its fullness, perfect. We might use the word to say, well, wow, the, the, it's lacking nothing. That's true. Perfect, it's without sin. Wonderful. We would also go on and say, okay, that, that you now are supposed to be perfect, James uses the expression, lacking nothing. Do you know what he's saying with this idea of perfect? He says, complete. Complete. You don't have to add anything else to this to finally get sufficiency. He says, no, 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 no. This new covenant, this change has brought about what the law could never accomplish. The law made nothing perfect, but this new hope does. It brings that which is complete the law demands this ongoing, continual, as we just looked at, sacrifice. There were daily sacrifices, weekly, seasonal, annual. It's laborious. It's exacting. Rivers of blood flowed from the sacrifices offered. Yet still, it is the ongoing necessity that makes nothing complete. Hebrews 10.1. Notice what the scriptures say here. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, 
and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. (laughs) Again, you understand what he's saying. The law does not have the ability, even though these things are done over and over and over again, it doesn't matter who comes, the comers cannot be made complete. Well, why not? He even in Hebrews 10.1 gives us again this little, oh, I, I get the idea that it's not supposed to do that. That was not the intention of the law. I, I was thinking about this with this passage of Scripture. I was thinking about when I was a little boy, my dad used to come up to our bedroom and and um, we, we lived in this old house. In fact, the, the bedroom upstairs, the, the side walls were kind of slanted. You remember, they would be like that. Both of them were because it followed the roof line. And, and the walls were actually plaster walls. And, and that was our bedroom. And, and I can remember my dad coming up to our room at night when, when he's going to tuck us in as little kids, me and Terry. And probably at that point, Rob was, was um, I don't know, he probably, again, every, every, all of the siblings at one point got my room. I still hold bitterness, but he probably had my room. So Terry and I and dad would come in and, and dad would fashion a light against the wall. Did you ever do this for your kids or did your dad do this for you? Did he, did he start to do things with his fingers? And, and, and I'm not very good at it, but man, I can remember how fascinated I was watching my dad make some kind of a shadow on the wall. Now, again, as a kid, he would say, okay, what's this? And I'm looking, and we try to figure out what is this? Is this a rabbit? Is this a dog? Is this, what is it that my dad is doing with the shadows on the wall? Well, it's not the, the real thing, of course. It is, it is just the shadow of something else. We can oftentimes make out the figure. Okay, I, I think that is a... Have you ever, of course, seen someone's shadow before you saw the person? Maybe you're looking around a corner, maybe you're looking across some way, and you could see some shadow approaching, but not the person that it represented. And what he's saying here, there is a change in the law, and the law does serve a purpose in the old covenant. It becomes this shadow, this image, this figure, and I can look at it, and I can start to make some things out, but I can't fully appreciate the reality until the reality, that which casts the shadow, comes. But when the day star dawns, when the light comes, the light now has dispelled the shadow. No more need to look at the shadow. In fact, we we sometimes search, where did the shadow go? No, 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 no. The day star has dawned. And now we no longer go back to the shadow. Now we go to the figure which is complete. The sacrifices have served their purpose. They shadowed, or sometimes we say they foreshadowed that which was to come. Hebrews 10 verse 4, you're still in Hebrews 10. For it is not possible, he says it plainly. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should do what? Should take away sin. Again, it's not intended to do so. They were shadowing the one that would come and take away sin. They are the picture of that which is to come. Look down at verse number 11, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number 11. 
Here the Bible says this, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But in our new covenant, what a change has taken place. We see that Jesus died only once and the full price was satisfied. Hebrews 7, we'll back up just a little bit, but verse number 27 tells us exactly what he did. Hebrews 7, 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sin, then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was once offered. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This sacrifice was the necessary sacrifice. This sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice, and this sacrifice allows for you also to understand the meaning of perfection. It's complete. It's lacking nothing. It's perfect in every aspect, no matter from what angle you might observe or inspect. Jesus Christ becomes the once for all sacrifice for our sin. In 1 John, the apostle wrote it this way. And he is the propitiation. Don't you love that word? We don't use it often, but what a beautiful Bible word. He is the satisfaction, the satisfier, the appeaser. That a just and holy God looks at mankind and he awaits the perfect sacrifice. Oh, the shadows were there. People did look to those as a picture of that which was to come. By faith, we do this with the understanding that God will provide himself a lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, Jesus, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he is what? The propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the satisfaction. He is the one that brings about the change in the law. And then let's just notice briefly these last two. A change in the temple. Hebrews chapter 9, you're close. So look at Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. Then verily the first covenant also had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, the holy of holies. We won't take time to continue reading all of that passage. Skip down to verse number six. And when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, this is the holy of holies, into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Well, as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure, this is a picture, it's a shadow, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, there's our word again, complete, 
as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers or various washings and carnal, that is, that is physical ordinances imposed on them. Here's a good word, until the time of reformation. Something was going to change, and it's going to change in a radical fashion. How is this accomplished? Look a little bit further, down at verse number 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, oh, this is a change in the temple, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let me ask you a question. If the tabernacle were still standing today, it's not. In AD 70, the tabernacle, that one being being Herod's temple, Prior to that, we had others, Solomon's temple. Of course, we have the tabernacle in the wilderness. But if the temple were standing today, would you go into the holy of holies? I mean, would you, do you remember we have this this instruction, like so many things. Remember, Hebrews even says the the, the high priest would go in once a year, not without blood. And then he's going to offer for himself, and, and then he will offer for the sins of the people once a year. The holy of holies, but it wasn't perfect, wasn't complete, and it couldn't bring perfection. If today the holy of holies was, excuse me, the, the, the temple still standing, would you go into the holy of holies? Let, let me ask you a more sobering question. Would you, would you barge into, barge might not be the right word, Would you go with an an element of of being carefree, of of being unburdened into the very presence of God? If the Holy of Holies is but a picture, and you might hesitate to go into the Holy of Holies. I mean, didn't they they tie a cord? Weren't there bells on the, the fringe? I mean, weren't all of these things precautions? Because what if he dies in the Holy of Holies? I don't know if I would go in there. How about the very presence of God? Do you know what you have today because of the new covenant? The change that's taken place? Do you know what you have This new temple, it provides a change in access. A change in access. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, he says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would any Jew ever dare think of going with some boldness into the Holy of Holies? And yet, believer, do you know what we have today under this new covenant? The change that took place from the old to the new? What did they not dare call God in the Old Testament? How dare they call him Abba? They, they dare not speak his name, lest they, in some way, shape, or form, may, may, may I used it in vain. I used it in some empty fashion. I, I don't want to even say his name. And now we get to say, oh, my father. 
which art in heaven. Does your child hesitate to come with boldness into your presence? There, there may be, as there was with me, always a healthy regard, a respect, a, a reverence, but no fear of coming into his presence. I would come into the presence of my dad with boldness, with a freedom that, that speaks of fellowship, with, with some carefree aspect that speaks of family, with some knowledge that knows when I go into his presence, I will go with his arms open wide because I belong to him and he belongs to me. Do you know what happened that we are celebrating tonight? That Jesus establishes this new covenant. There is something that is this, this beautiful new way. And he says, now, I, I know there was this fear. I, I know that he would only go once a year, not without blood. But whose blood now satisfied any demand? Whose righteousness now covers us completely so that we can go and have, dare we say it, because of Jesus, does Jesus have every right to be in the presence of God? And to that we give a hearty amen. Then, then if you are covered in his righteousness, if he said, I will pay for your sin and I will give you my righteousness, then, then how do we get to go into the presence of God? With the same boldness with which Jesus himself goes into the very presence of, of that which is holy, God in the presence of God. In Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Did you get that? Boldness to enter into the holy of holies, this new tabernacle. What do you have? You have this because of the blood of Jesus, the final sacrifice. And he, how is this accomplished? Isn't this wonderful? What a change by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The word boldness gives us the idea of coming with unreservedness and speech, coming with a freedom and a fearlessness befitting one who has every right to be there. The change from the old to the new covenant was not easy for many. Change never is. It's really in part what we're studying in Romans chapter 14, how difficult it was for some to make the change. But oh, how much better was this new and living way provided for us by our new high priest. It's true that change may not come easily, but when it is ordained by God, it certainly is change for the best. That is one change, church, for which all of us can be eternally grateful.